0: Level up your LA Kings experience with the new Vivid Seats Elite Seats. All the on-ice Kings action with even more exclusive access. Enjoy great seats to the game along with premier dining inside the Lexus Club with all-you-can-eat food and non-alcoholic beverages. Plus, get a free Team LA Kings item and parking with your purchase. Score your Vivid Seats Elite Seats tickets today and earn rewards on each purchase from the only ticket company that rewards you for buying. Experience it live with Vivid Seats, the official partner of the LA Kings. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings
1: program, visit slash podcast. And on right wing to Dubois, plays it off the board. Dubois feeds the middle shot. Score! Adrian Kempe! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Bobatar, Dowdy, Kempe, one timer, and he scores!
0: Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen time to crown a king of the week for week 13 and do a bit of a recap here to help me out two of the three gentlemen from the hockey royalty podcast russell morgan how are you doing today russ i'm doing pretty well jesse appreciate you having us on and joe Paterino, all the way from new york how are you doing joe
1: not too bad jesse thank you uh, for having us on
0: now i feel like i owe you guys an apology even though it's completely out of my control um i try and space out when we have different people on and i try and take a look at like the schedule so that i don't um, saddle people with weeks where there's like two games or one game in terms of the all-star break. And and uh, the Kings got shut out in the first game of the three games that we're going to look back <laughs> on. So it might as well not have happened for the purposes of King of the Week. So I apologize to you guys for that. Uh, and then we're recording at five o'clock, basically the afternoon after the Detroit game. No, excuse me, the Washington game uh, where the Kings lost um, on a goal scored 53 seconds left before the end of regulation. So that's a bummer as well. So uh, apologies in advance for handing you guys a rough week to work with and short, short notice to, uh, to work with whatever you had going after, after that Detroit game.
1: Yeah. Appreciate the schedule, Jesse. That's great. <laughs> yeah, to know.
0: Listen, if I had any control over it, <laughs> believe me, I'd have had to go differently. So, uh, you guys know the rules and, uh, we're going to start with you, Russ, your runner, excuse me, your honorable mention for the week. Yeah. My honorable mention,
2: uh, for the week goes to a player that, uh, I think has been good throughout the whole season and his all-star nod uh, is kind of a good recognition for his services so far for the Kings. So it's Cam Talbot. And I I know he had a little bit of a rough game today against the Capitals, but I mean, considering a lot of the question marks that were coming into the season, he's kind of put those to bed so far throughout the year. Hopefully that continues. So it's good to see him get the nod for the all-star game.
0: He did have a bit of a rough game, but I saw some comments on social media message boards where people were questioning the pick and then other people were immediately piling on and saying, like, of every goaltender that's played more than 20 games, he leads the league in goals against and save percentage. And whatever you may think about those stats, whether they're team stats or individual stats, they're, they're still the standard for how we judge goaltenders. So, yeah, it's a solid pick
2: from my perspective somebody's got to make the saves, right? <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah. And when they, you know, I was talking to a bunch of people, we were trying to figure out, well, who's going to represent the Kings in the all-star game. Cause it's a new or not new anymore, I suppose, mm-hmm. but the more recent um, way of creating the teams. And in past seasons, it's been like, well, who's going to represent the ducks? Well, who's going to represent the sharks? Well, who's going to represent it? And in those cases, it was always like, well, oh, the goalie. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you only yeah. have so many. So when it was Cam Talbot, I sort of smacked my forehead and I went, oh, right, of course. You know, we all like our forwards, but none of them are tearing up the league in any one specific category. And Talbot is, it's just convenient for, for all yeah. parties. And he's been good. Absolutely. He's, he's yeah. Been- yeah, no, he's absolutely. Well deserved. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Joe, your honorable mention.
1: You know, you you alluded to the schedule and the struggles of this week, Jesse. So I'm actually going to go dip down on the farm for my honorable mention. And coming off a four-point game, including a hat-trick in, in today and an overtime winner, Samuel Fugimo, uh just continues to do it with the Ontario Reign. He's up to 28 points in 21 games. Among players that have played 10 games in the American Hockey League, he's third in points per game. So, you know, maybe he's the beneficiary of, uh, of a lackluster week in Los Angeles, but he's going to make my honorable mention list because of it.
0: I, You know what? When I first started doing uh, King of the Week, before I came up with my wholly scientific and always accurate point scoring systems, I used to like going off the board like that or coming up with stuff like, you know, the ice scrapers or the Zamboni driver <laughs> or the concept of friendship, whatever it was. So I love that. And he did score a hat trick. He had the game-winning goal last night, Saturday night, I think, uh, against the San Jose Barracuda. I love that pick. Um, I full confession did not know who I was going to go with, and I was going to base it sort of off of what you guys went with. So (laughs) despite only playing one game and not really doing anything spectacular, I'm going to go with Brent Clark. Um, he had an unbelievable season up to this point. He got called up and then despite being called up, did not get immediately put into the lineup, which must have just been unbelievably frustrating for him (laughs) after everything that's happened. Uh, He gets put in and I thought played um, a fine game. I, you know, I've been looking back, only had what, an hour or so to look back at the goals, looking back at the goals. I'm not sure that I would pin any of them on him. I know I wouldn't pin any of them on him. Um, So to come in in that situation and play with Vladislav Gavrikov, who's used to playing with Matt Roy, right? I think a lot of people assumed he would slot in for Jordan Spence. He did as far as, you know, one player in, one player out, but he didn't play with England. So I'm not sure that it would have made life any easier on him to pair with England, but maybe the way matchups work out, maybe the way that Roy and Gavrikov had familiarity with each other, maybe replicating a similar game to Jordan Spence might've helped, but that wasn't the case. He was put in right away with Gavrikov. So that's my pick. Any thoughts on that, Joe or Russ?
1: I I would just say that, yeah, I think I agree that I thought he was, he was steady today. Um, And I I think that it would have been, you know, put it, would have been good to see him next to England. Maybe that would have freed him up actually a little bit more. And I was a little surprised in a way to keep that they split up Gavrikov and Roy. But hey, an opportunity to give uh, give him a shot to play with Gavrikov. So it could be something in the future. Who knows?
2: All right. I just want to see a defensive lineup with Spence and Clark both in the game at the same time. I think that gives the Kings the best opportunity to win and their best offense from the defensive side.
0: Let's put a pin in that, because I want to come back to the concept of offense from defense. We'll do it after we finish uh, going around. Russ, you're a runner-up for King of the Week.
2: Yeah, my runner-up, uh, he hasn't really done much since the start of the year, but lately, he's, he, I feel like his last 10 or 11 games, he's starting to make a little bit noise on the production side. So I went with Alex Leferriere, uh two assists on the week. Like you said, kind of a rough, rough week, so with his minus two today, he was a net positive coming into the game, but he ended up uh, even throughout the week, so... All in all, rough week, but I think it's a little bit of appreciation for the season he's had as a whole uh, coming. I think a lot of people forget he's just a rookie. So to come from the the college ranks and the schedule that they have there but it's a little bit more open throughout the week, and now that he's playing a full NHL schedule, I think since that healthy scratch he had earlier, uh, he's kind of picked his game up a little bit more, and it's been that player that we saw when he first started. So I went with Le Ferrier.
0: He caught me off guard. Um, I was talking to Pierre-Luc Dubois on – Wednesday, I think, after the Toronto game, prior to the Detroit game, about just about the line changes, and I'm probably overly focused on off wing players, um, particularly when the Kings only have two right shot forwards in the lineup, and so they're moving one of them to his off wing, um, and bringing Adrian Kempe, also playing on his off wing, off wing, excuse me, now Pierre Luc Dubois playing with two forwards playing on their off wing so i was i was sort of wanting to drill down on that and he took the opportunity to say just an unbelievable list of nice things about alex le he went on for i don't know 40 seconds or something um and like i said it caught me off guard pierre luc dubois has a tremendous clearly a tremendous amount of respect for alex le um so does the coaching staff so um we saw a little something from him in that detroit game that maybe we hadn't seen previously, not that he was, you know, passing the way like a Kevin Fiala or Victor Arvidsson might, but he was finding his line mates in a, in a really interesting way.
1: It's funny you yeah. mentioned that, Jesse, that he was having that, that you had that conversation and Dubois was speaking very highly of Laferriere on the last show. Uh, Russell, myself and the host, Randon McMahon, we talked about how amidst these line changes that we've seen kind of recently the, the anytime there's been shuffling, it seems, anyways, that a lot of times it's Dubois and Leferrier are staying together. And it just seems like they've really kind of built up a bit of a chemistry together. At least that's what it seems from the outside. So it's interesting to hear you say that uh, Dubois had those comments for him. So
0: we're going to put a pin in the line conversation, too. So you guys help me remember this. First one is <laughs> offense from defense. Second one is line combos. Um, Joe, your runner up.
1: My runner up uh, is Quentin Byfield. Um, and I'll tell you, the more I watched, the the video the more i almost wanted him to actually make him the king of the week he had the two assists so it's not like he lit up the score sheet but for me it's how he got those assists if you go back to the detroit game he withstands pressure from Marit Sider on the wall, then beats another check, goes down to his knee, makes the the pass down to Kopitar, which ends up in, in the Matt Roy goal. And then today, I mean, everybody saw, I mean, it's recency, right? little recency bias maybe with the pick, but boy, right off the draw, he jumps in, intercepts the pass that they were trying to make go D to D, sets up Fiala for the goal. So just these little things, these little plays that that he's, he just continues to make game in and game out. So um, for me, he it's again, not lighting up the score sheet per se for this particular pick, but two points in three games and just the way he went about it. A uh, really big fan.
0: I actually never got around to doing play of the game player of the game tonight on the post game show, because I was so sort of crestfallen about the results and my thoughts were scattered, but Quentin Byfield going behind the net on that power play and yeah. disrupting that puck would have been up there. And on the first goal that Kempe scored, even though he didn't get an assist, he kept the puck in the zone um, over five or six seconds prior. Um, I, I want to introduce a concept. I don't know if it works or not, but maybe you guys can help me get it off the ground. I want to introduce the concept of an 85-foot game. Um, We know about the 200-foot game, right, which is offensive and defensive. But I want to introduce the idea of an 85-foot game for game management, for board battles, for, for stuff like that that isn't necessarily registered as solid defensive play, but that contributes in the long run to keeping plays going. Because we mm-hmm. saw about, you know, Kevin Fiala had a great uh, game for that tonight, Yep, which will let me transition into the fact that Kevin Fiala is my runner-up, um, mostly because he got two goals and in a week where only six goals were scored, and he had two of them. Um, but... Yeah, a game like tonight, and I'll circle around back to it later when we talk about the line conversation, the second pin we've got. Um, When Kevin Fiala plays an 85-foot game, he's exponentially more dangerous, and his line is more productive, and it's really fun to watch. When he's playing a 40-foot game or whatever whatever the opposite of an 85-foot game is, we'll have to figure that out. You know, that's when they get into trouble. Um, but I thought a really strong week from Fiala um, and a really strong game from, from him tonight. So he's my runner up for King of the Week.
2: Yeah. I mean, you just got to let Kevin be Kevin. That's all it is. I'm not sure you do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, he's the riskiest player on the team, obviously. And it's really scary if he's at the blue line with the puck, but I mean, the plays he makes, he's, he's, Probably the most creative player on the team right now. I know you have your admiration for Victor Arvidsson in terms of his playmaking abilities, but with Kevin Fiala, you you gotta let him run. You gotta let your horse be be his horse. So,
0: well, let me ask you this, and I'll actually start with Joe for the answer to this, and then Russ, you can weigh in. What I've been seeing a lot from Kevin Fiala is the start of a creative play will happen. He'll have possession. He'll make a move. He'll have an opportunity to dish or to pivot. He won't take it. And you'll begin to have the spark in the back of your mind of like, oh, here comes a wild pass to somebody that we didn't see coming. But then it doesn't happen because the uh, the opportunity doesn't present itself. Um, and so I'm beginning to get um, anticipation that is never uh, <laughs> rewarded. There's a, there's a more crass term for that phrase that I'm not going to use. Yeah, that's the um, worst mind. <laughs> but, like, I'm starting to go, like, come on, Kevin Fiala, do something crazy, and he won't do it. And I think that's probably good,
1: Joe. Um, You know, I, I think I would agree, especially early in the season. So we, we, we saw with Dubois and Fiala when they were together where where Dubois, it just didn't click as the word, you know, for lack of a better term. But I think it's because like Dubois was making plays to Fiala and then he was doing exactly what you were talking about. He's spinning off and he was getting ready to make a certain play. And for whatever reason, there just wasn't that final, like that final product, but I'm all for it. And now I would rather have a player that I have to rein in a little bit and And talk, say, "Hey, okay, pump the brakes a little bit rather than having to really try to drag something out of a guy if that makes sense yep. so he is he is risky, I fully acknowledge that, but I also think he's unique, in that the kings have a lot of guys that are very good, kind of two hundred feet, you know north south they're very good, both ends of the ice." So they kind of have this one guy that's a little bit more of a rover, if you will. I think Randon on our on our show refers to him as a bit of a rover, or an amoeba is is more accurate. So, <laughs> I, and I kind of like the term because, and I'm okay with it. So it's it's a little risky at times, but I'm I'm here for it. I'm here for it for for whatever that's worth.
2: Thing with the Kevin, I think that goes unnoticed too, is like what Joe said, is you do have to kind of reel him in a little bit. And we saw that, I think, in the San Jose game where he got benched at the end of the first period, then of course comes back and scores that breakaway goal. What I what I love about Kevin is that he's always so he he always responds to that criticism or that benching or anything like that. He's never gonna just kind of sleep under or just kind of go quiet and, and be upset about that, uh that benching. So that, I think that's a big part of his game where he'll always respond and come up big. If, if you have to reel men in.
0: Just to be clear though, the reeling in is the coaching staff conceding that you don't have to just look quote, let Kev be Kev. Like, There's
1: always a limit. <laughs> that's fair the, enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get to a point.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Let Kev be Kev to a very, like that leash is, I like the leash being long
2: on Kev. Mm-hmm. You, to, fair point. That's, yeah. that's fair.
0: Up to a point. Sure. All right, Russ, you're king of the week then.
2: Well, my king of the week, I think uh, we might probably have the unanimous choice. I mean, I here. would hope but, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you got to go with Juice, Adrian Kempe, um, three goals on the week. Uh, it seems like he's starting to come on as late. Uh, I don't know, maybe his shooting percentage was a little lower on the end at the beginning of the year, but with six goals in his last six games uh, another, and a power play goal t- today to boot when he only had, I believe, one coming into this t- tonight's or today's game. Um, after 11 last year. So that was where he would kind of been struggling a little bit. To, to, so to see him get back on the score sheet on the power play, I think that was huge.
0: Ton McClellan was asked and gave what I thought was a really funny answer, made only funnier by the results of today's game. Asked directly if he saw any signs that the power play might be improving, and he just said no. Nope. Um, I can't lie to you. I think that there's some things that – that still have to happen and improve in those areas. I think we did create more chances and we didn't give up momentum, but the polish and the execution has to improve. And, um, you know, we practiced it today and I hope it's going to be better tomorrow than it was today. <laughs> and then said like, I can't lie to you. <laughs> like There's a lot of things we need to work out. <laughs> and then they scored two goals today. So yeah, I don't know what to make of that, but, but, a uh, uh, silver lining of humor in an otherwise gray week.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And and I guess you know, I'll just keep keep it going. I might as well if I'm going to add in comments on Kempe. Yeah, he's he's my king of the week uh to with the three goals. And and I like the where he got the goals from. So the first one well, I think it was the first shift, right, with with Dubois that he played with du- Dubois and Lafarriere and he goes right uh, to-
0: Well, the first shift in the second game Correct. Yeah, paired, yeah. 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 Fair enough. Yep. Yep. That's what I meant.
1: So first shift in that second game against Detroit and, and, uh, he goes right to the front of the net. Nice pass from the Ferrier. He tips it in. But then the other two goals are from that right circle. And I think we saw a lot of goals from him. He likes playing on that off wing, getting his shot off. He's got a, obviously a really good release, a great shot and, and both beat the goaltender one, as Russ mentioned on the power play. So, um, it's huge to get him going. And he's going to be a crucial part to get the power play going too.
0: I also am picking Adrian Kempe, so congrats to the two of you for correctly choosing the King of the Week this week. Um, Tough choice. Well, yeah, <laughs> three goals on the week, but I was there were so many people talking about how he's getting hot. Nick Nixon called him uh, a hot king, which made me laugh. Um, and I frantically started looking up the difference between cider and juice because every time, or not every time, but frequently, if I'm at a like a Christmas party or something, cider is served warm. Whereas if I go to a bar, it's obviously cold in a bottle, but I was like, I well, I really desperately hope there's something to do with the process of creating cider that has to do with heating up juice. Turns out no, there's nothing, nothing to do with it at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, Adrian Kempe um, has been really good. Well, I don't want to say he's been really good lately because he's been really good all year. He's been scoring goals lately. Yeah. Prior to that, the conversation was about what a complete <laughs> player he's become. And, that's been more rewarding for me than seeing the goals. Obviously it's fun to have a guy score 40 goals. It's more fun in my mind to have a guy that's a point or more than a point per game player on a team that wins more games um, what than you, other teams what is, in the division.
1: What is your thought on that? It's because do you think if the goals were going in mm-hmm. the season, would it have presumably his play wouldn't have changed a bit? It's just maybe a couple more pucks fall. Would it have been, well, here goes Kempe again. He's going to have a on, for another 40 goal season and totally overlook the fact that he is a complete player. But because the pucks weren't going in, it seemed easy, an easy time to say, oh, well, he's playing really good at both ends of the ice. Is that, you see what I'm going with, that?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, I'll give an answer and then you let me know if I answered your question. I thought that a tremendous amount of the success that the top line had in the first 20 something games of this season and the end of last season. Had to do with the the contributions of Quentin Byfield. Having a large body who draws defenders, wins puck battles, you know, goes to the front of the net, does all these little things that you want in an ideal line mate. And then on top of that, he wanted to do those things. Right? He wasn't doing them under duress. He wasn't being threatened with, you know, losing ice time or anything. Like anytime you'd listen to him talk, he'd talk about, I have these two incredible linemates. I got to do what I got to do. It would echo exactly what Todd McClellan talked about young players. Production will come eventually from doing the right things. You don't come in and expect to score a bunch of goals. So right off the hop, Anje Kopitar is scoring a bunch of goals at the start of the season, right? It was him and Moore trading goals for whatever, two or three weeks in a row. And Adrian Kempe was contributing to that the same way that Quentin Byfield was. And the two of them, Byfield and Kempe are large Strong, fast, creative players. And unfortunately, we can get into this conversation a little bit later about the lines. I think what really happened was the other lines got maybe not stale, but less productive. And that means opponents are now able to focus all their attention on one line. Whereas when the team was rolling, one of the things we were talking about was, oh, you don't have to match lines at all. You just throw whoever you want out there, and it's, you know, anybody can get a goal. Well, suddenly anybody can't get a goal. Yep. And now you're focusing on a rookie, um, you know, hockey gods bless on Jacobitar, but a 36, 37-year-old center and, uh, and Adrian Kempe. So now that he's on this new line. Um with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Alex Le both of whom play more physical games, I sus suspect. Yeah. Um than Kobitar and Byfield, or at least maybe not more physical, but more they play a game that in that uh, imposes their physicality on the opponent more than Kobitar and Byfield do. Right. Yeah. Kovatar, I think, uses his physicality reactively, and Byfield uses his <laughs> coincidentally because he can't help it because he's huge. Um <laughs> But like Lafarriere, we saw that hit against Washington today, right? Yep, it, yep. Uh, I can't even pretend to remember the guy's name or pronounce it, but I mean, Yeah, thank you. And um, and Pierre-Luc Dubois uses his weight and his muscle a lot more. So I don't know if that opens up more space, I don't know if it just the line change came at a moment when Kempe was starting to find scoring touch. Um, I guess we'll have to let it play out. But I do want to quickly say congratulations Adrian Kempe this week's king of the week. Because now I'm going to transition into the second pin I put in, which is the lines. It's been two and a half games since we've seen the line changes. In the first game, Kempe, or excuse me, Moore, Kovatar, and Byfield were incredible. In the second game, Kempe, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and Laferriere were incredible. Now in the third game, or second and a half, whatever, game, Fiala, Deneau, and Kaliev. But we haven't yet seen a game, Russ, where all three or even two of the three new lines have looked good. Each of them has sort of had their own moment in the sun. So I wonder if it's even working
2: by your standards. I don't don't know if it's working because they're not winning, but I mean, even after the last (laughs) game, (laughs) even after the last game, even McClellan kind of said it's still a work in progress. So he didn't really make it known that it was something he was going to stick with long-term. And even in today's game, he switched Kempe and and more uh, right back, so he had Kempe with uh, Kopitar and Byfield, and then more with uh, Dubois and the fair at the end. I don't know how much that was probably the game flow, but it certainly seemed like that's what he was kind of looking for. There were there were times during the game too where it just seemed like Moore and Kopitar were in the same spot at the same time. They just really couldn't generate enough space out there on the ice together. So, but as far as the lines as a whole. I mean, I, I love Arthur Kaliev with Deneau. I feel like Kaliev has played some of his best hockey in his career with Phil Deneau. and maybe that just has more to do with the player that Phil Dano is, where he can kind of carry any linemate he has. But I'm not so sure how long I, I want to see Kempe with Dubois. I I liked it at the start, obviously, when you get that production you have. But I don't know. I think with the way that Kopitar and Kempe and Byfield have played, I think it was a little bit more of. I don't know. You just kind of had to do it just by the way the whole team was playing. So we'll, we'll see how it goes going forward, I guess.
1: When you put the lines in a blender, as the saying goes in the middle of a game, you're trying to spark something. You're trying to get something jump-started. And I don't think that necessarily means that you have to keep it together the rest of, you know, for the games that follow that. So I was curious to see if that was going to be what happens. Obviously it was. Um, I, like Russ, and I know that the numbers actually, I think, disagree with me. Like for some, there's something just when I watch them, something doesn't seem like more and Kopitar seem to be a fit together. And I don't know if it's just those two are just a line as a whole. But again, I, I think the numbers disagree with me. So we'll see what happens. But I also think when you make a change like this, I, I, you have to, you either have to be willing to give it a few games, like three, four, a handful of games at least to really let this kind of sink in a little bit. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be switching it right back or switching it to something else. And I think that gets a little, maybe dangerous is too heavy of a word, but I think, you know, a little bit of continuity helps. So I'd like to see it go a couple of more games. I do think Dubois, Kempe, uh, and Laferriere can be a pretty exciting line. I had been curious about seeing Trevor Moore with Dubois, but Kempe uh, is an interesting one too. And I, I think that one has a lot of potential uh, to be a very successful line. Um, so I don't know. I, it, it, like Russ said, you know, they haven't won. Uh, so it's hard to, to say that it's been overly successful. But I also don't think we're sitting here other than maybe the Toronto game that I don't think it's not as if they've been outplayed here. The, the Kings have played OK hockey. Maybe they're by their standards. It's a little bit down, perhaps a little bit sloppy at times. But it's not as if they're not controlling possession, controlling scoring chances and things of that nature. Um, I, I hate to say, you know, bucks aren't falling, you know, that's a little lazy, I think at times, but, um, I don't know. I, 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 I'd like to see it go a couple of more games. Cause I do think the way the lines are broken up are, are not bad.
0: I don't actually think it is lazy to say that Joe, because a lot of people have been saying a lot of, you know, obviously it's a fan echo chamber, but a lot of people have been talking about what's wrong with the Kings. Why isn't it working? when it worked previously and I went back and I just arbitrarily chose not arbitrarily, but I chose the date right before the game against Columbus on that trip where they faced Columbus, Montreal, the Islanders and the Rangers not going to go dig up the numbers right now because I've repeated them a few times now and I keep forgetting to write them down. But uh, prior to that point in the schedule, their shooting percentage was above 11 percent or maybe it was above 10 right near 11 since that point on the schedule. It's between five and six, or maybe between six and seven, yeah. but it's it's thirty first in the league out of thirty two, yeah. yeah. and t- tonight they had what do they have forty one shots on goal or this afternoon I think how many posts did they hit? Yeah. Like four, five, um, and so I you know I was saying after the game we had a caller call in and and he was talking about panic and I said for me personally the it, the reason that I panic isn't because of losses it's when i can't understand or i can't imagine what a solution might look like and i don't know how you fix shooting percentage Mm -hmm. i think todd mcclellan talked about it at the start of last year russ where he was talking about like i don't know we just gotta practice shooting or something and i remember thinking at the time well it has to be something there has to be a better solution than that but i don't know what it is like i I don't know how you fix shooting percentage that went from 11 to 6 other than to just give it time joe
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the other part of it is, is how they're, you know, where are those shots coming from and how are those shots happening, right? I mean, if you're, if the shots are a little bit more, you know, low danger, if you will, or maybe there's fewer cross seam passes, maybe fewer passes to the slot to get the goalie moving that create a more dangerous opportunity. If those have been down over that stretch of time. Now, the shooting percentage still shouldn't be that low to your point, Jesse it should be thirty first but you know maybe that contributes to it, and maybe there's something maybe that either in their system or teams are 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 scouting them and and trying to defend what the kings do well or what they did well the first part of the season. you know there's obviously a, a lot of different factors there, but um to to the caller's point about panic, I panic if the kings are just being. Uh, frankly outplayed in games. And when you look and I know people always like to hear this but when you look at the possession numbers and they're at 60% uh Corsi or they're at I think today they were 60% expected goals even or 55% expected goals something of that nature. When they're controlling the possession and you're controlling the scoring chances you know, sometimes it, it, a couple more go in for the other team than yours and that, but over the course of an 82 game season, if you're doing those things consistently, you're going to be fine, generally speaking. So that's why I'm, I'm not panicking. Like they had the bad game. I thought it was a bad game in general against Toronto. But other than that, I don't think these a little slop. like I said, individual sloppiness at times with a couple of plays. Um, and they end up the back of the net.
2: Yeah. I kind of felt the same way. I mean, you did, Jesse. It's funny that you brought up that that shooting percentage number because I actually went back to the Ranger game and looked up that stat and found the same numbers that they were 31st in the league. So, I mean, the thing that I also looked at is, okay, well, are they still generating the same amount of high danger chances as the, Like what Joe just said? Are the shots just coming from the point? And frankly, they kind of are. I mean, it's not nearly the same number that it was before that point but they're still pretty high. So you kind of look, I at I was
0: expecting to jump in real quick. When I looked it up, I was expecting to see high danger chances go down because yeah. the narrative was that they weren't getting to the front of the net. They were taking perimeter shots. They were happy with that. And I was like, okay, well this will, exp- this surely will explain everything. They're mm-hmm. just not going to the net. But then I looked up and I was like, Oh, well, well
2: mm. yeah. McClellan had talked about a little bit. Um, sometimes the score will dictate the way that the game is played. And he talked about that after the Maple Leafs game and, you go up against a team like Detroit, where they give up a little bit more uh, chances than the other teams, but even still, like that's why I, I'm I'm in the same boat with you guys. Like I wasn't even panicking, but t- today's game just frustrated me on end because Ooh. this is a game that they should have won, and you have a lead. I, I know it's the start of a long road trip, but when you go up against a team like Washington, the team that you you're expected to win a game like that, I don't know. I think that's the one that just frustrates me the most, but still. I'm not pushing that panic button quite yet.
0: Well, I want to reintroduce a phrase that's going to make you guys probably hate me, and that's sample size. Um, Because I had a caller call in after the, I want to say the Detroit game, and was talking about the losing streak and all this, and I said, okay, but shootouts are a coin flip, and overtime is a tie. So if we're looking at this record, and let's just say we take two of the five overtime shootout losses in the last, whatever it is, month and a half, and let's just say we turn those into wins. Are you still as upset? Right? Because now we're talking about changing 7-7 seven, seven, and 5 to 10-7 and 2. It feels totally different. And today's game, I think probably, I think I counted six things going wrong on that final goal. Like, Deneau gets kicked out of the faceoff dot. Mm-hmm. Deneau and Arvidsson fall down behind the goal. Uh, Gavrikov gets beat outside. He winds up making a tip, disrupting the play, but there's nobody there to collect the puck. Uh, and then to know the puck goes in off of his leg, it changes directions. And it's like, okay, well, I'm sorry. What are you supposed to do about that? Mm-hmm. This is like eight things, or well, I'm exaggerating, but at least five things go wrong. 53 seconds left in the game. Had that game gone to, and I understand I'm doing a lot of ifs, but had that game gone to overtime and a few of the overtime games gone the other way, the conversation isn't, oh, no, this team has drastically lost its identity or something is going wrong. It's just, ah, oh, well, maybe they couldn't have gotten, maybe they didn't get a couple extra points that we would have liked them to. Yep. Um, And I understand I am 100% grasping at straws to try and make myself feel better about it. But I'm also trying to be a more reasonable person, I think. And that's what I come
2: up with.
1: Well, and, and- just...
2: I'll just take it one further, real quick. It's just imagine if they had beaten the Oilers in a shootout, just by what has happened the last two years. This just that one game alone, a shootout win over the Edmonton, would have changed everything.
1: Three on three hockey is just a totally different game than how the rest of it's played. So when they lose at overtime or shootout, it is like no skin off my back because those are just totally different environments than what you're used to seeing. Like I, I don't read anything into those into those you know losses so yeah i'm with you jesse i I think it's again i go back to if the kings start being in a situation where they're being outplayed game in and game out then it's time to worry but i i just that in my opinion that has not
0: been the case
2: i wish the standings reflected that same opinion yeah (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) i'm gonna use this as an opportunity to bring up just a bunch of random thoughts I, i think it was against edmonton the kings tried the same play three different times gain the zone pass from the high right wall into a streaking player going down the middle, like more. I think people thought he was hooked. Um, Didn't get the call, but then they went back to it on a different line and then they went back to it on a different line. And I thought there's no way that's coincidence. It's the exact same play, the exact same attack. And it almost worked three different times. So I thought I'd be very clever about it. And I asked Todd McClellan, like you don't have a lot of practice time. You don't have a lot of video time. You don't have a lot of meeting time. Surely you're not devoting a ton of time to three on three coaching. Like you don't even know at the start of every game if you're even going to need it. Um, and he said what I would expect. He said, which is no, of course we don't. Like, why would we? That's just the players. And so I followed up and I said, is that just the players, you know, seeing a weakness and exploiting it? And he was like, yes, it's 100% of the players. I just have a lot of trouble believing that because it was the same play three times in a row. But I don't have an alternative because, like I said. You don't even know you're going to have three on three until until it happens, right? Like right. tonight, I was expecting three on three, um, yep. and it didn't happen. Final pin before I let you go, and I appreciate you guys hanging around uh, with me. The first pin I said, uh, Russ, which was the offense from defense. Um, I'm gonna start with you on this one, Russ. I personally, not only do I not care how much how many goals are scored by the defenseman, I've never understood. Where it comes from that people care, or when it is like what point in the season are we allowed to start having that conversation? Because five games into the season, nobody's going like, well, I don't know. They're five and oh, but they haven't gotten a goal from a defenseman. Like 10 games in, 15 games, like 20 games in, like, I don't know. It doesn't bother me. So I'm curious. Where, from your perspective, like what at what point are we allowed to, you know, Matt Roy scores one against Detroit. Did we just earn seven games where we don't have to worry about goals from defensemen?
2: No, I mean, I actually agree with you in terms of of that. Like, I I really don't care if the defense scores any goals. The, the The conversation I talk about when I talk about offense from the defensive side is starts in your own zone, and if you don't have the defensemen that are able to skate away from pressure. Or even generate good breakouts, like we talked, like McClone talked about. After today, he hated some of the breakouts that were happening for, for the Kings today. And when you take a player like Jordan Spence out of lineup, like we saw, you lose a lot of that skating ability and playmaking ability that I feel like could help you in the offensive zone or even escape from pressure in the defensive zone Do start offense. So that's kind of where I think of it, like that. Like so, like for the Matt Roy goal and him not scoring, I didn't really care because him and Gavrikov were one of the best offensive expected goal pairings in the league so it's not necessarily that they're not scoring and looking and producing a lot of points but they're still driving play and creating offense for the forwards to score goals
1: yeah I, I that that's what it is and and perhaps maybe the whole quote-unquote offense from the defense is, is is you know that's really not how it should be phrased um, it's more as Russ said, it starts from the back end, and I don't care, Jesse, either how many actual goals are scored by a defenseman. That I don't really care about that per se, um, but when you look at Jordan Spence, there's an assumption that he hasn't been productive and he's here to be productive because he's an offensive defense versus Jordan Spence because he doesn't have any goals. Well, he has 12 assists, which is still that has him for the second most points among defensemen, and he has more points than four regular forwards. So you're getting production from the back end. But to Russ's point, you know, having defensemen that are like, take Mikey Anderson, for example. He's never going to be known as an offensive defenseman. But Mikey Anderson is kind of probably quietly under the radar The best Kings defenseman in terms of entering the offensive zone with possession of the puck. Okay. And when you do that, you lead your, there's a greater opportunity to, for a scoring chance when you enter the zone with possession. Now, maybe Mikey Anderson isn't picking up the actual point, right? He's not going to pick up the assist, but it's that play leading into the offensive zone that is helpful to generate that offense and keep that offense rather than say, I get it, I dump it in, and now we got to go win possession back as an
0: example. Russ, it's interesting that you mentioned Spence in that context. It doesn't feel like it was this long ago, but based on the schedule, it had to have been during the Vegas game. Because I don't think I heard him say it today. I think it was Jarrett Stoll on the telecast talking about Jordan Spence and those assists and talking about how he's great at getting the shot through, but one of them's got to go in eventually. And all I could think of was, yes, but he's great at getting the shot through, which is not not necessarily true of every other defenseman um on the roster and so i was like why why does why does it have to go in i'm i'm happy um that he's getting the shot through um it's one of the strengths of power play too i think is that even though he's not necessarily uh i don't know i'm struggling to think of a defenseman who was guaranteed a goal from the blue line but even though he's not one of those um yeah, we had a conversation with Ed Egross recently on the podcast about or actually it wasn't on the podcast. It was after we stopped recording, but about the benefit and the importance of low danger chances turning into high danger chances. You know, if you take mm-hmm. those low danger chances, whether it's a bounce off the boards, a tip, a deflection, a rebound, whatever it is, suddenly you are now gifted with a high danger chance that wouldn't have happened had you not taken the low danger chance. Listen, it was a low-danger chance bringing you guys on today. I appreciate you coming on, uh, Russ and Joe. If either one of you wants to go ahead and uh, pitch Hockey Royalty where Kings fans can find your work.
2: Yeah, definitely, hockeyroyalty.com. Uh, we also have weekly uh, YouTube shows on our YouTube channel, so just look for us on uh, Hockey Royalty. Uh, they're live shows, so we ex- we uh, want fans to come on, get generate their opinion, get in the chat. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. But hopefully the season turns around here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We have a good chat uh, group that goes on. We answer questions and shout out to Brandon McMahon, who's the host of the show. He helps keep Russell and I in line because otherwise things could get just haywire when he's gone. So <laughs> appreciate Brandon.
0: And actually, before I let you go, I this has been um, bugging me for a, a while now. Joe, how did you become a Kings fan?
1: I to, I, you know, I get excited when people ask me that question. <laughs> For those who don't know,
0: Joe lives in New York.
1: <laughs> Ro- Rochester, New York, which is yeah. about an hour and a half or so east of Buffalo. So I am in Buffalo Sabres country. So um, I was born in, in 1985. Uh, and so just a few years later, as we know, Wayne Gretzky was traded to the L.A. Kings. I was too young, so it's not as if I know exactly what the heck was going on. But my dad, who is a Boston Bruins fan, he recognized this is a big deal. And recorded the game. So the first game I ever remember, and I still have the VHS somewhere in this house.
0: Man, you got to uh, transfer that to the DVD or something. Seriously. <laughs> I don't even know, yeah, I, I was going to say, you can't game. watch it. No one's got a VCR. I don't have a DVD player. So I don't know yeah. what I'm going to watch. Well, there you go. So, so I,
1: I, the first game I ever remember watching was that game. And I don't remember exactly how old I was. But I just fell in love with whether it was the Jerseys, Gretzky... Um, you know, Tomas Sandstrom, Luke Robitaille is one of my favorite players, like that whole group of players from back in that era, I just fell in love with. And I spent, you know, before it wasn't easy being a Kings fan out here on the East. Cause as you know, the games, the games start pretty late.
0: If it makes you feel any better, it wasn't easy being a Kings fan from <laughs> 1993 to 2000.
1: So then, then try doing <laughs> it. True, true. The East, yeah. it was, I was doing it via the internet. Uh-huh. So there was no, there was no ESPN right. or whatever back then. So the voice of Nick Nixon got me through a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the the King's era back in the day. So
0: well, listen, before I let you guys go, Joe, if you find a service that will convert that VHS into <laughs> a digital file and you let me have a copy of it, I will pay for it.
1: Uh, but um, that's
2: awesome.
0: <laughs> All right, excellent. <laughs> Russell Morgan, Joe Paterino, thanks very much for joining me. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks, Jesse. All right, it's Monday, that means we're going to take a look ahead at the schedule. Kings have road games against the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Florida Panthers, and the Detroit Red Wings again. here to tell us about those three opponents, Jack Jablonski. how are you doing today Jack? I'm doing well, Jesse you're fresh freshly back from minnesota
3: i am i am i'm I've made it out of the The cold Midwest, uh, even though it's been milder than normal. (laughs) You're one of the um, few
0: people who, when you leave to go back from whence you came, I will say like, "Oh, when are you going home?" And then when you come back, I say, "Welcome home." Like both places are home. It's not.
3: Yeah, uh, both. You know, they both are home. This is this is my home now. That is my my my. I don't know my. I don't know what the my base. I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, growing up there and having. So much back I mean, You there. lived
0: there till you were twi- 18, 19?
3: Yeah, 18. Yeah, yeah. Moved back out here, spent some spent some summers there in college. So, I don't know. I mean, I've been here long enough where this is definitely home, but, you know, it's still home there, too. So,
0: let's dive into the schedule and the preview. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, we kind of talked about this last week when we were looking ahead, and uh, I was throwing them out as an example of a team that, in my mind, they're much better than their record says they are.
3: It, it, the record, yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting with the Lightning because I'm, I'm looking at, like, the analytics, but then you're looking at the record and the player performances. It, it very much seems like a, like a version of the Toronto Maple Leafs, again, because they're so top-heavy. You know, they've got four players with over a point per game, and that's, you know, obviously Nikita Kucherov, who's leading the NHL in points. Um, he's on pace for 134, so that's not good if you're an opponent. Um But you've got Kucharov, who's a point-per-game, Braden Point, who's a point-per-game, Victor Hedman, who's a point-per-game, and obviously Stamkos as well. So, you know, it's so top-heavy with those contracts. And then obviously you've got Vasilevsky, who we'll get to in the second. But you know, when it comes to this team, you know, this is the first of the two meetings. We've got a home game against them on March 23rd. Um So, obviously a telltale sign of what to expect uh in that game after we see how this one plays out. But you know, they're 19, 17, and 5, so under 500, so to speak, if you want to include the, the overtime games. Um, But weird. You know, they've played half the season. They've played 41 games, and they've got 43 points, which is just very odd to hear from a Tampa Bay Lightning team. Now, again, you know, goaltending, Vasilevsky was out for 20-something games. You know, they they didn't get off to a great start, and, you know, he's come back and he's played decent hockey. He's 9-9. Nine and nine. Um so a little, you know, underperforming compared to what we've expected. Um but it's not like he got off to a slow start and then found his game. It's more just been he's been, you know, underperforming what I think we thought Andre Vasilevsky would be able to do um now that he's healthy. So it's it's a really interesting predicament because you've got Vasilevsky who's nine and nine, like I mentioned, eight ninety five save percentage, three goals against. Um and as a team, they've lost Uh, four straight games against teams that are over 500 so obviously the Kings being one of them hopefully we can continue that trend Um, but they're five and five they just keep playing 500 hockey it's it's really intriguing but you know the uh, the one little thing for them is that they're much better on home ice than they are on the road Um, they're 11 5 and 3 at home Um, and I believe they are just doing quick math six no they're seven 12 and two on the road so obviously we're playing them, we're on the road this time, so upper hand, whether it's the last change or just, you know, the the feeling of being home, and they seem to, to be much more comfortable there. So uh, it's it's a really interesting team because, like you said, Jesse, we expect them to be just, you know, cruise control the regular season, then turn it on once you hit the playoffs, given their history. But, um, you know, is this the end of the dynasty? Is this just a, a bad year for them? I guess we won't know until the... Things play out, but it's definitely a different team than we're used to seeing.
0: We talked recently about goaltending and like, have we reached the era where goaltending doesn't matter? And I sort of said, I don't, I'm not sure that we have. But this season, the league seems to me to be flush with goaltenders like. Well, frankly, like the Kings have, and like Washington has, I mean, obviously Kemper's very good, but they've got Charlie Lindgren and uh, I'm blanking on the gentleman's name, their, their third string goaltender that they called up. Um, we've got Riddick, Talbot, and, well, we had Copley, but not anymore. Um, there's a lot of goaltenders who are in their late 20s, early 30s who haven't been drafted, and yet a guy like Vasilevsky, until this season, theoretically should have been a guy that mattered. <laughs> Um, but he's mm-hmm. having, I mean, it's only 18 games so far.
3: It's a pedestrian season for his but, standards, but he's young,
0: like he's not 35 or 36, right? Like Correct. First number in age is still a two.
3: Yeah. A hundred percent. But you know, you don't know how, you know, goalies are different. I, I kind of look at them like, you know, like a left-handed bullpen pitcher, you know, guys that just come in and, you know, sometimes they've got it. Sometimes they don't, or it takes him a while to get going. And, you know, like I said, you know, this is the first major injury that Vasilevsky has had, you know, he's still obviously finding his legs or whatever it may be, but you know, the goaltending situation, it's such a funky thing because you look at, you know, you go back a few years and, and Darcy Kemper won the Stanley cup with Colorado, but was it Kemper or was it that roster? And then you can say the same thing about Aiden Hill. Now, obviously Hill has backed it up this year. He's injured right now, leads the league in goaltending in terms of save percentage or goals against, one of the two, if not both. So, you know, is it the roster? Is it the goaltending? But then, you you know, you get to a team like Florida where the goaltending has been instrumental. So, um, you know, it can go both ways. I think you can make a valid argument on each end of the, the, the spectrum. But, um, you know, when it comes to the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, this roster is top-heavy. It's got a goaltender that they heavily rely on. And when one of the two doesn't show up on any given night, then it's it's a hard t- you know hard time to to win a game. But you know I, I do want to go back to Nikita Kucherov because this guy is fascinating. He's played forty games. He's on pace for one hundred and thirty four points. He has points in ten of eleven, and this is the craziest stat to me. He has twenty multi point games this year, and he has eight games this season without a point, uh-huh. <laughs> which is. Just, you know, twice as many games with at least two than zero. So, um, obviously, you've got to check him out. Uh, their power play is second in the NHL, 29%. Um, so, obviously, you know, when you've got Kucherov on the Ovechkin half wall, not necessarily a one-time guy, but a guy who just sets people up left and right. Um, you know, he's somebody you got to watch out for. And kind of, you know, their power play reminds me a lot of the Capitals when they were in their prime where you've got, like, the TJ Oshie with Brayden Point in the middle who can always hurt you. You've got Stamkos down low or whoever it may be on the one-time side, and then you've got, obviously, Victor Hedman up top who's as good as a facilitator in anyone. So, you know, this team is, it's it, you know, like you said, it seems like they should be better than their ranking gives them. Uh, you know, is it just a slow start? Is it, you know don't want to wake up the sleeping giant so to speak so it's just a matter of you know not having seen this team yet we just don't really know what to expect on on which tampa bay lightning team this could be this year
0: yeah two numbers that stand out to me one is their home record 11 5 and 3 which is very good so the kings will have to hope that their road record um holds up against that and then the other one is a minus nine goal differential which is weird because i i know it doesn't technically matter but, like, I'm looking at their stats. You know, you mentioned Kucherov. He's out to a hot start, 67 points in 40 games. I'm looking at the their biggest minus guys, and it's like Stamkos, minus 19. Nick Paul, minus 16. Sergeyev, minus 15. Radish, 15. Braden Point, minus 13. And plus minus numbers are funny. I understand that they're flawed, but when they get up to like minus
3: 19, yeah, questions have to be asked right? on a guy like
0: Stamkos who's got 38 points.
3: Well that leads to me believing that you've got a second rain power play where a lot of your points come from and you're not getting pluses with those. So, <laughs> you know, maybe on the ice for quite a lot of 5 on 5, but you know making it up when it's 5 on 4. So, you know, I agree I think the plus minus stat like you mentioned it is flawed but it is telling to a certain extent and we'll get to that when we get to the Florida Panthers.
0: Yeah, well but, let's get to them right now then.
3: <laughs> all right, let's do it. Um, you know, I guess we'll start with plus minus. They've got three players at plus 20 or better. We've got Gustav Forsling, plus 25, second in the NHL. You've got Alexander Barkov, obviously, you know, very Anze kopitar Selkie guy, plus 22, fifth in the NHL. And then Evan Rodriguez out of nowhere, uh, plus 20, seventh in the NHL. Um, so, so, very different in terms of the plus minus when you go from 140. I want to I throw to this the out there.
0: Sam Reinhardt, also a plus 17 at the time of recording, yes. which is also impressive.
3: Yes, yeah, so you know they're 39 games into their season, 25, 12, and two, third in the Eastern Conference in terms of points. Like the Tampa Bay Lightning, a really good home record at 12 and five. You know these guys are on fire right now. They've, uh, I believe, so they just got off of a five-game homestand, or they're kicking off a five-game homestand after being on the road for four games. Uh, and, and this team is is much better. Uh, in terms of all around, they've got everything you want in terms of offense. You've got defensemen who are putting up good plus minus numbers, but then you've got you know a team that we played back in November. I think mid November. I think it was the sixteenth or so. That was a team that we played against without Aaron Ekblad and without Brandon Montour, two integral top two defensemen for their organization that um, were huge when it came to their Stanley Cup run, both offensively and defensively. So uh, ironically, they both played against the Ducks the day later when they made their season debut, but uh, a team that we have not seen, even though we've played them once uh, in terms of personnel, strategy, whatever, Um, you know, they're on a seven game win streak right now. So um, a team that is definitely not to be um, played around with in terms of averaging 4.5 goals a game in that win streak, giving up an average of two. Um, they beat Colorado in Colorado 8-4, to four, so convincing to say the least. Now, um, no matchup with the Kings can be overlooked when Matthew Kachuk is on the other side of the ice. Um, obviously, the history with him and Drew goes deep, but Kachuk is obviously having a great year again, um, even though he's, I think, fourth on the team in scoring. He's got 35 points in 39 games. 11 points in his last five, seven points in his last two. So he's rolling. And then you mentioned Sam Reinhardt, Jesse, and he's tied for second in the NHL in goals with with 28. So, um you know, this team is, is deep. You know, in one way that they're very identical to the Kings is puck possession. You know, the Kings tend to, to love to control the puck, control the pace of play. So do the Panthers. The Panthers are second in shot attempts and first in shots on goal. They're also third in shots on goal allowed and second in attempts. So, um, like the Kings, they don't they don't give up many goals. Um, I think the Kings are first in goals against. Panthers are second. So you know, it could be a very identical team in terms of what you're looking at when you're looking in a mirror for the Kings. And then we talk about goaltending, Jesse, and that's Sergei Bobrovsky. So you know, twenty wins, second in the NHL. Um, You know, he's obviously been a a huge part of team success all the way going back to his time with uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets when they knocked out Tampa Bay uh, in that insane year for the Lightning. Um, You know, eighth in goals against and third in quality starts among goalies. So, um, you know, very much seems like we're looking in a mirror when we're talking about the Panthers, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how the two teams match up when it comes to puck possession mainly.
0: So the biggest takeaway I had from that november 16th game a few months later not in the moment but now looking back on it was that was the they they beat florida two to one in what i remember being a very hard fought game then they beat st louis you know sort of trump stomped them five to one then beat arizona four to one you know they went on a little run but it was that game against florida that sort of started the turnaround because they had lost to philadelphia the previous game And had lost that game to uh, Pittsburgh in overtime the game before that. And it was two home losses. And it was a lot of, uh, oh, what's wrong with this team? Cal Peterson came in. It was like his second time playing them in 10 days or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. And, I, you know, he didn't get the shutout, but he, you know, he beat them. Um, And then they have four days off then this game against Florida. So, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen in the Tampa game. But it feels to me very similar in that, like, you know, it's I suppose more <laughs> dire now, in that the Kings are heading into Tampa on a five-game losing streak. If you want to include overtime and shootout losses,
3: yeah, no, I mean, absolutely, you have to include those. But um, I you know, don't the, have to, uh, Yeah, yeah, sure, Jesse. <laughs> um, no, you know, that it's it's a very kind of like you said, like an up in the air. Which direction is this team going to go? You know, I think it's fair to say that. You know, you looked at that Philadelphia loss earlier in the season against, you know, a team with Cal Peterson coming in and, you know, after you just put up five on him in, in Philly a few a week or so before and you get, you know, beat up at home and now it's time to respond. You know, this is that type of road trip where, you know, okay, the Kings lost three or four in a row at home and we know that we've had those rumblings of, you know, what is this team at home versus what are they on the road? And then you know, we go on the road and you think, you know, you know, let the guys breathe a little, a little. And then, you know, we've seen this so many times, Jesse, you and I, in the last few years where they get on the road and they just hit a winning streak or they just kind of get back to their identity and their game and not overdo things. And obviously they lost um, on Sunday at the time of this recording against the Capitals, but you know, they're back on the road. They, they're back to hopefully being able to control their own type of game. And and this will be a telling game, in my opinion, because you've got a team like the Panthers who want to play the same way you do. But there's only one puck. You know, the, the Panthers, I believe, are second in the NHL in offensive zone allowed. So their defensive zone in terms of, you know, the Kings having the puck in the Panthers' zone. They don't allow much of it, but the Kings love to have that puck. And whether it's quick transition and you know build a rush, or it's just being able to cycle and control the puck and wear it down, like the puck movement that the Kings have been able to do so much this year, I'm excited to see how this game plays out and if they're able to kind of get the puck past a guy like uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, if he is indeed the guy in that.
0: So that brings us to January 13th, a rematch against the Detroit Red Wings. Kings played them on Thursday January 4th at the time of this recording it was what 4 days ago 3 days ago um still sour it was a shootout loss um a game the Kings could have won and a lot of people I've seen say should have won what are we looking for in the rematch against the Red Wings
3: Yeah you know there's not a whole lot to talk about beyond what you know we kind of mentioned there in the first game but you know when I do go back to to that game of course you you first point at having a two-lead after the first period and, and and losing that in the second and obviously letting a team like them hang around who has the offense to be able to to work their way back in the game. Now, you know, Detroit still, you know, they're four and sixth in their last ten, but you know, we go into Detroit this time and, and a team where they've been more successful at home than on the road, as per right. usual across the NHL. So, you know, they've got points in thirteen of their twenty home games this year. You mentioned that shootout loss. I think it goes back to giving the, the Red Wings a chance in that second period, opposed to trying to get up 2-3-0 after having two goals, I believe, in the first five or six minutes of that game. So the big thing for me was, in that game, 22 block shots for the Detroit Red Wings versus 11 block shots for the Kings. Now, you know, over the past few podcasts, you and I have talked about how we don't expect a high volume in block shots for the Kings because – we have the puck on our stick more than, often than not. So that's not as much of our identity as it is other teams when they play us because we tend to be able to have the puck on our stick in the offensive zone. So, but 22 block shots is a lot. Now, obviously, that just comes from, you know, whether it's not moving your feet or not moving the puck enough or just poor decision making, whatever it may be. That'll be something to look out for because the Kings obviously are a team that has been extremely successful in getting the puck to the slot and getting in front of the net, causing turnovers behind the defenseman, which is an easier way to prevent block shots than, you know, working your way around the perimeter and trying to get it on net. But, um, you know, I, I strictly go back to the Kane and Debrinkat duo. Obviously, they've been a great tandem their whole careers when they've played together, but it continues to be the case. Obviously, Kane, point per game since he's come into the lineup. Brinkat, still leading the team with 38 points and 39 or 40 games this season, so um, you know it'll be interesting to see because it'll be uh, another rematch of two teams that have played each other recently. What adjustments are made, and and who can win?
0: In looking back to that game on the fourth, uh, like you mentioned, the 22 blocked shots for Detroit, but also a first period where the Kings outshot Detroit 17 to eight, and like you said, it was two to nothing with five minutes gone in the first period um to the king's credit they did score uh, a goal late to tie it that came from adrian kempe um i know that you were on the flight coming home for bits of the game today but i have noticed something i mentioned this in the uh, king of the week segment that we did with the hockey royalty guys earlier in the toronto game when tom mcclellan changed the lines we saw byfield kopitar and Moore have a really impressive 30 minutes together In that Mm -hmm. Detroit game, which followed it, we saw Pierre-Luc Dubois, Adrian Kempe, and Alex Laferriere have a strong game. Then tonight, or this afternoon, we saw Arthur Kaliev, Phil Deneau, and Kevin Fiala have a strong game. But we haven't seen a game since only two and a half games, so I'm not worried about it. But I do think it's interesting that in three successive games with the new lines, each game one line has really shined. But we mm-hmm. haven't gotten a game where two lines shined or three lines shine. I mean, the fourth line has been excellent. But, like, the new lines, it's sort of like each one has its game and that's it. Um, So I'd really like to see, hopefully starting with Tampa on Tuesday, a night where if not two of the new lines, all three of the new lines actually gel and, and look really good together.
3: Yeah, no question. I mean, it's it's that feeling out period, right? You're still trying to learn the chemistry after you've had the same lines for a good chunk of the, you know, at least you look at that top line, Kovatar Byfield, and Kempe, they've been together for, you could say at least a year. I think it was that, about
0: a year you know, almost to the yeah, day. Yeah,
3: cumulatively about a year. And then, you know, we, we got so used to the nice line. Obviously, Arvidson has been out, but, you know, who knows when he comes back. But then in his place, obviously, you've moved people around. Uh, Fiala, you know, so all these different types of people, you know, we have to go back to their humans. They still have to figure out how to play with each other. And like you mentioned, it was one line that night. It was the the next one, the next night. And then it was the next one that the following game. So like you mentioned, hopefully it's, it's two lines or, you know, greatly all three and four, but you know, hopefully you can see multiple, you know, lines impactful and and visible and pushing um, kind of like what we have become used to when we've seen the Kings rolling, you know, obviously you, you know, when you're successful, you've got more than one line on a roll, but at the same time, it's, it's their ability to impact the game, which carries over to the next shift and carries over to the next shift. And that's the, you know, kind of that dogfight that you just hope that, you know, you can keep taking a chomp out of the other team. And then eventually, you know, those uppercuts hit a little harder later in the game.
0: Well, hopefully it all comes together. Jack, welcome home. Appreciate you joining me again. And we'll talk to you next week.
3: Of course. Thanks, Jesse.